You're listening to WRUULP Savannah, Georgia, 107.5 FM, WRUU.org. We are Savannah Soundings, community radio with global soul. Coming up next, Art on the Air, with your hosts, Rob Hessler and Gretchen Hilmers. Welcome to Art on the Air, with your hosts, Rob Hessler and Gretchen Hilmers. This is an hour-long interview program dedicated to the visual arts. Each week we feature guests in conversation about their theory, practice, and current projects, as well as the state of the visual arts in our community. We also play musical selections relating to our guests and engage in additional conversation about the topics presented in our interviews. So let's get started with another episode of Art on the Air. Here are your hosts, Rob Hessler and Gretchen Hilmers. And this is Art on the Air. Rob Hessler here with the Luminescent Gretchen Hilmers. Feeling a little more luminescent after almost 10 hours of sleep. That's the best. You just got to go to bed real early. That's the trick. Uh Uh-huh. Yep. And have a toddler deign to allow you to have a night of sleep. Bribery works. What did we bribe them with? I don't know. Uh, our listening audience does not care about this. Let's get into our show here. We have a really good one lined up for you today. I had the chance to go down to Sulphur Studios and talk to the current On View artists in residency there. Monica Jane Frizzell and Adam Scher, better known as the Nomadic Photo Arc team. They're <laughs> traveling around the country basically with this mobile photo lab and taking photos of people, portraits of people, and also gathering audio stories of people. So we've got a really special episode lined up for you this week. We're going to play the interview that I did with Monica and Adam from The Space, but then they have also sent me several of the stories that they've recorded. So we're going to also be able to play you some of those stories. And Gretchen and I, I didn't listen to them in advance, so that way we could listen to them live and react. So without further ado, let's go ahead and play this interview with Monica Jane Frizzell and Adam Share, the Nomadic Photo Arc, and second half of the show, we will play you some of their interviews, but I know you're going to enjoy this interview as well. Let's get into it. Rob Hester here with Art on the Air. I am at Sulphur Studios in the OnView residency space, and I am talking with Monica Jane Frizzell and Adam Share. And we're going to be talking about the Nomadic Photo Arc and Portrait of Us. So before we get started, just kind of tell us what the project's all about. So um, back in the beginning of 2021, uh, I started building the Arc, which is a fully portable photo darkroom. And um, there's also a small office space in there. But um, the main thing is that I shoot 
predominantly film and large format, and I wanted to be able to just process on my own wherever I was. So I decided to put all my eggs into this one little trailer. <laughs> um, and I've traveled a lot throughout the U.S., like um, throughout the last 10 years, um, interviewing some people, photographing some people, but I never really just sort of put all my time into it. So that's what I am planning and, and currently doing with this. Um, but the idea of it is to just travel, have conversations with people when we're maybe in a time when people are not having that many conversations with one another and just really just one-on-one -on -one interviews and photographs. So the trailer just makes it kind of something where I can really stay close to the medium and how I like working with it, um, where I don't have to send off film and stuff like that. And also I think what I'm learning is that it's actually kind of this thing where I get to kind of share this medium that a lot of people don't get to see. And that's um, like here at Sulphur Studios, we'll be doing two workshops and that's like the first time that we're doing that. And I'm just like so excited about it because we get to like share the magic of the darkroom with people that don't get to see it that often or if ever. So that's kind of a cool thing about the whole thing. Yeah, I want, I want to talk about, we're going to talk about the workshops because I think that's really cool that you're bringing the darkroom to people. But Adam, what is your role in this? Because we're hearing a lot... You know, from Monica. <laughs> you can talk. It's fine. No, you no, can no. talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, um, in, in terms of the, like, art and the project and the stuff the, that we make that comes out of the arc, um, most of it is the audio portion of it. Interviewing folks, and then we both interview, but I I think for what's posted right now, I think I've done all of the no, yeah, you do all editing. I don't do any of that um, for the, <laughs> I've, I've done all the editing for the interviews or, I mean, s stories, I feel like is more, you know, that's what we kind of frame it as when we sit down because it's much more of like a, an audio prompt for folks to then sit down and tell us, you know, something pivotal that happened to them. Or if we're looking at a, you know, a community, like what's your connection to that community? So we use the word we try and frame it as a story and less of a back and forth uh, right. interview or conversation, mainly because it puts people at ease. Um, if, the, if we're like, come tell us a story, it's different than, you know, we're going to pass this mic back and forth or, and, and stuff like that. But yeah, so I'm bringing a lot of the audio stuff and as well as the social media stuff is falling. Not falling on me. I enjoy it. Um, so a lot of the, the internet presence and the social media presence is me. Yeah. That's awesome. I want to, because there's a lot of stuff that you guys probably, I mean, I don't know if you've done other interviews or you've been traveling around and you've been doing this a lot, but I want to kind of delve into some stuff that isn't like necessarily in the press release and, and all that. So I want, there's two things I'm really interested in. And, I, and one of them is you built this arc. Why did you even decide to build this arc? Like what compelled you to say, I'm going to build this like thing that I'm going to drive around. I mean, because that's, I think that's such a unique component of this whole idea yeah. is that it's like, I mean, because you could still do this exact same project and just drive around and take photos. And even if you wanted to process them and develop them yourself, you could collect all the images and then go and do that later. You don't yeah. need to do that on the road. So I, what compelled you to do that? I, you know, my outside intake on why you, what? why we do it. Yeah, I mean, you can do that. I want to hear the outside. Yeah, yeah let's hear it. Do let's, the outside, and then maybe I can talk about uh, what made me do it. It's um, 
it's that she, as you already touched on, like being connected to the space we're in. Mm-hmm. So an example would be in, a, you know, the first, you know, community that we set up in that we weren't actually living in, or, you know, was um, uh, North Hero, Vermont, which is in the Champlain Islands. It's an island in Lake Champlain between mm-hmm. Vermont and, and New York. And uh, so for that show, at the end of it, all of the images that were on that wall were processed and printed in that community using power from that community in the water from that community and so it adds that an extra level of the you know connection to the space that we're in and i think also it's just the the format that you use so when you say large format i mean it's hard to describe what that is to folks that might not even know what you know 35 millimeter film looks yeah. like but you know the the negative that's coming out of that camera is the size essentially the size of you know a piece of printer paper right it's eight by ten so. yeah 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 and i think when when i had you know again i had been on the road a lot and then last year during covid at the beginning of covid i kind of i had just moved to new mexico and then a month later everything shut down mm-hmm. and i was like and my folks were in brooklyn and like my whole family and life I was like watching New York just kind of, you know, it was like the worst time really in New York was like at the beginning there. And anyways, and then I was getting like, I've steadily, I hate flying. I hate having other people like tell me how I need to travel. (laughs) And I think, and then, and then also the added component with COVID is like, how do I do this safely and keep moving? Right. Cause I want to keep, on the road. So I ended up buying my truck and then I, I actually did this 6,000 miles of dirt roads through the U S and it was during that time when I kind of came to the conclusion that like I, I had wanted to make the step to eight by 10. I'd always shot four by five, which is just a tiny bit smaller. And I was like, I want to make the step, but like, I want to just keep it with me. So like, I think I just want to build my studio that I can like kind of, you know, cause I can stay in an apartment and have this parked outside and still have my full yeah, studio. Sure. So it's, it's something where no matter what my living situation is, I can always go in and make some work. And I think that was, I think COVID really pushed me to make that decision because I think it just made me kind of aware of how, like, I just don't really want to rely on a lot of other aspects which you know which is ironic too because i'm like community is so good but like at the same time i just want to be self self self-sufficient in a way you know it's funny though when you think about like how many people like got into gardening and like growing (laughs) their own vegetables and fruits and stuff like that and doing all that during covid i mean it's almost sort of an artistic version of that where you're like being self-sufficient and that you don't have to go out you can do everything you want yeah and i think that's like you know that's the that's the thing you just you don't want to have to look for an apartment that has a garage that then you can build a a dark room in i just want to have a parking spot and then i can sleep wherever it doesn't matter but like that so that at the end of that trip i like i just i don't know i just went and bought this stupid trailer and then went up to seattle and built it with my friend (laughs) and like you know it's very like you can't really tell what it is outside there's certain hints you know there's like a plug and like a vent and stuff but and then the panels up top but I learned I mean I had never built anything like this so I just sort of jumped in neck deep and figured it out as I went I gotta tell you 
because I knew I was coming to interview you guys, and I did the research, and I, I knew kind of what to expect, but when I was driving up and I saw this parked in front of Sulphur, like, I literally smiled. Like, a big smile came on my face, because it's like, I don't know, like, how could you see this and know what you're going, what you're, and not be happy to see it? It's cool, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, no, I think there's really that cool. element. It's just like, it's a cool thing, and cool and a weird and yeah. different thing. And we still feel that when we walk in, especially... You know, having kind of just redone a lot of um, layout and storage of the darkroom side of the trailer. We just like, finished that. Like yeah, yeah, just before we came here. Like, opening that door to a darkroom and the office space is just, like, is still wow. Yeah, because um, it just feels us. so... I mean, it's so just for my, like, in the darkroom, it's, like, just what I need to make the work that I want to make. Like, not many other people would probably find it convenient for them but for me it's like exactly what i need the perfect size all of it and then i think for adam too it's just like we've slowly gotten it to where it's for two people yeah we're like because it was not because originally after she was almost done building it i was just finishing it when we met and then so that changed how certain parts had to be well i can tell that you do a lot of interviews because that was where i was going next i was going (laughs) to ask you how the two of you met how the two of you connected well, you know, it was a, quite literally met on Tinder. Yeah. So okay, that's cool. Yeah. But then his, it was strange. We actually went to the same middle school. We were in the same year, and we have the same yearbook. Um, and like, but we <laughs> never knew each other. That's yeah. So, so weird that was like cool. twenty, whatever years ago. And then, his father had actually, who's a, um, had actually interviewed my dad. My dad's a musician, and. So there had been this, like, strange connect, And then, like, you know, friends of friends. Because yeah. I grew up in Seattle. Also, just the fact that I was even in Seattle, because I had, like, you know, promised the universe that I was never going to go back to that dark city. But I, <laughs> there I was building this. And then... In the winter. Yeah. And then, I mean, it was pretty... It was within two months that we had just decided that we were just going to go for it. And it's been amazing. I mean... Yeah. You know, I mean, like, gosh, it's, like, a tight space. You're yeah. traveling together. Yeah. I mean, that's... My wife and I lived in a 450-square-foot studio apartment for five years. And let me tell you something. I love that woman, but that was tough. It was hard yeah. to live in that tight space. So I, I kind of wonder what's the dynamic been like for you, too, as you're traveling along. It's it's good. I think it's the we've been lucky that when we're over the winter, when we're living in spaces where it's not nice outside, that we have had, like an um, indoor we've space. had a full house of yeah. indoor space to be in that's not the truck or the trailer. Because um, when it's not ni- nice outside, you have to keep everything pretty much shut, and it's like, you know, tiny. And but if the yeah, but when the weather's nice, we're in the southwest, or which we haven't been yet, but we will. Yeah. Um, or we're in you know we were in Washington in the summer. I mean, it was great. You know, our entire living area and dining room is just wherever we are outside, and that means you have tons of space. But the the sleeping area and the office space are are small, and it yeah. takes some you know. But I don't know, we just, it, it's like, I feel like I've known you my whole life, and it's, like, not difficult. Yeah. I mean, it's dif- it's, it's difficult, difficult because the life can be difficult, but it's not difficult because of Adam and yeah. I's dynamic, if that makes sense. Yeah. Just the dogs. Just the dogs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, dogs, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're listening to Art on the Air here on WRUULP, Savannah, Georgia, 107.5 FM, WRUU.org. We are Savannah Soundings Community Radio with Global Soul. I am your host, Rob Hessler, here with Gretchen Hilmers. Now back to our interview with Monica Jane Frizzell and Adam Scher of the Nomadic Photo Arc. 
All right, so let's let's kind of get into. I mean, you kind of explained what you're doing with the project, but let's get to the nuts and bolts of it. Like, how are you doing the project here? Like, how are you involved in the community? Like, what? How is it going to work? I guess. So I guess since we just got here, literally, <laughs> we even started. Yeah, we're yeah, doing like, this. Like, literally. Yeah, we're um, going to set up the studio. I think we're going to just set up here. We're going to have the trailer open to have people come in, ask us questions. I think at first we'll be quite passive and trying to just see who walks by, who might show interest. But we're also, you know, going to go wander up. around. Is yeah, well. folks can sign up online to do the interview and take a portrait, which we've never done that before. So is that via Silver's website? Yeah. 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 yeah, it'll be up there and we can also get you one too. It's just, it's just a direct link to a calendar to sign up. Yeah, and oh, so that I'm excited to just see kind of who arrives you know and then i think also as i because i just started kind of walking around the area i don't know much about the city so i'm excited to just start learning it's very walkable too you're gonna love so walkable i love it and so that i think like today i think after this we're gonna go and wander around and shoot some and you know just wandering with that camera yeah starts all these conversations i had a good friend who had an 8x10 camera and um when i was living in dc and yeah, like whenever he would go out, he would just draw a crowd because yeah. it's just such a cool old timey camera that yeah. like, people want to look at and they want to know what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. And then also what's, what I kind of love about the way that we do things is like, you know, somebody comes, sits with us, tells us a story, does an interview, and then it passes on to somebody else. So it kind of lets the community sort of create itself by like word of mouth and things like that. And I don't in my head, I like see this little web that just kind of. Yeah, sprinkles sure. out, and that is cool too. So you're so. doing a visual portrait, of, you know, of the person, and you're kind of taking a story portrait in a way. What kind of stories are you looking for when people come to you? I mean, what are you, what are you hoping for? What are you asking for? Or is there any guidance? There is guidance. Um, I don't know if we've really decided exactly what we're going to prompt people with here. Um, we've used a couple different things. We've, you know, really, it's a story um, about. A story about something that like that changed the the trajectory of your life like a moment in time that shaped that big or small right like mm-hmm. you know those things could yeah. be tiny things like someone you know for for someone it might be um you're trying to you know something yeah, well, like ha- josh like he yeah you know. one of the first ones we talked to his story was about how it's uh he had a really traumatic time asking a girl out in eighth grade and, and that maybe, was like the first time he asked a girl out, and then and, now it's like always that. Right. It's like yeah, always and, challenging for him, and that was one. And then cool. Or it's you know how how you met your wife, or this you know, or uh, someone of the first people we talked to was how um, you know they dealt with the death of one of their parents and having to deal with all of the stuff in their house that they had lived in for sixty plus years. Right. Made them realize we don't want to do that to anybody, so we're gonna sell or get rid of a lot of things and live in a trailer. Um, so, so they essentially this, just led them to yeah. completely downsize and change the way that they So it's live. a huge so. range of, of of stories for that prompt. And then sometimes it might also, you know, be what, you know, your connection to where we are. Like you know, mm-hmm. what's your connection to savannah or this neighborhood or you know stuff like that 
Um, and why is it important to you and things yeah. like that. So I have to say, just sitting across from the two of you, you're like really easy to talk to. Like, I think you've kind of got that vibe going, you know what I mean? Like, and that's really important. You know, it's interesting, a few, maybe it was about a year ago, another artist, Bridget Kahn, did these portraits. There was no story attached to the portrait itself in the sense that there wasn't a written story or recorded story but she would sit down and do these long exposure photographs yeah. and just talk to people about their experiences like during COVID and all of that hmm. and create these like blurred images and sort of in a sense the story was embedded in the photograph and you guys are doing this other different take on it and I just really like it and it really is easy to talk to you so I think you know I, I'm as we're sitting here chatting I hope the listeners are kind of grasping that like it shouldn't be too stressful. It's kind of nice. I understand why you probably get those deep stories. Yeah. And it's, you know, giving folks an opportunity to tell those stories that they might not share with folk, you know, people outside their immediate family um, or maybe have never told them. It's just people, and I mean this in a really good way, people like to talk about themselves and about stuff that's happened in their life. And so giving folks a platform to, and a cool, fun, safe way to do that. I don't want to talk too broadly about our society, but we do live in a time where people can be very sort of romanticized and then they get all this press about this one person and you may feel like you never can get seen. And this is something where really I just want everybody to leave the room feeling great. Mm -hmm. So whether the portrait is even that awesome in terms of like fine art photography or anything like that, it's just really about you being seen and you getting a nice image of yourself that you can like maybe really see yourself yeah. in. Because everyone and that's will the most get important. an image of Yeah. Oh, that's so they lovely. They get a print. So that people this, are going to get to have they an get image of it. Yeah. That's so cool. And you'll get a print from, you know, from the arc that'll either have to mail you if it's too slow or you pick up later or something like that. But yeah, that's an important part for me is just that you get to be seen. Because I, I don't know. I don't feel like I can be listened to a lot so I think it's important that people get listened to <laughs> and the I don't know in terms of just straight you know nuts and bolts of how we do it the the portrait is the last very very last thing that we do and the shortest and the shortest yeah like you know there have been we're hoping to get a lot of people for this the time frames are maybe a little bit uh shorter but you know we've talked to folks for an hour and a half two hours and then mm -hmm. and then they get up and then they see the camera for the first time and then the portrait's maybe 10 minutes. Yeah. So they've, you know, they've been opening us, opening up to us in terms of the story, and then that leads to a much more um, open connection and partnership when they leave me and go with Monica to take a portrait. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited, and I, too, I about being... I just hand you things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm excited about being here, too, just because I'm hoping that, like, people can maybe bring us to places that might mean something to them because I don't want to just shoot everybody either in here or just right outside. So I hope that we can like meet at other locations around Savannah that may be cool. important to you. And then, so that's like also a part that I find really important as well. I mean, you know, usually when we are meeting people at their home or something, like we'll shoot you in front of your house or something like that. Um, but when they're coming to us, it can be a little bit harder to break that. You know, that's kind of cool too for you two because, you know, you come to... Whenever you, you know, you visit a new town, like, you end up just naturally gravitating to the sort of tourist locations. But when you are engaging with a community like this, like, people who live here, 
nobody's going to take you to the tourist locations. Nobody's going to be like, I want to go take my photo, like, in at downtown in front of the, you know, I don't know, the dueling piano bar. They're going to want to take you to some place that's cool to them, and that's never the tourist spot. Almost right. never, at yeah. least. Yeah. Yeah, and that's it's a huge it's, plus. And it's awesome for us, because we get to, you know, see the city in a much different way, and, mm-hmm. or see wherever we are in a much different way. Yeah. yeah. More authentic, I think. Mm-hmm. Well, look, beyond the the taking the photos and gathering the stories, you're also doing two workshops. The first one will have already happened by the time that this airs, which is on March 19th. The second one is on March 26th. That's from 12 to 5 p.m. Talk about the workshops. What are you you all planning for that? Well, so I have, I'll talk about the daydream of it, but I really want people to come (laughs) either in like pairs, like you could come with your good friend, you could come with a parent, grandparent, or whoever, it doesn't matter, but or you'll meet somebody new, and then you'll share a story with one another, and then I'm going to be doing pinholes with them. So basically we'll make our own camera out of, like, cardboard and tape, and then um, you'll go and shoot around the area and then come back, and I'll help you process in here. And then also there's a small community darkroom in Sulphur, so we'll be split up because um, the spaces are so small. But by the end, and we're going to be doing these direct positive 4x5s, so everything will be already done and then the next day you can come and pick them up because they have to dry but it's gonna I'm really excited to see what people talk about with one another and like I'm hoping that we are going to record them and then we might take little pieces of it for the show at the end because we're going to do kind of a pop-up exhibit on first on April 1st here Mm -hmm. and I want to have a part that's just dedicated just to the workshop um, participants and and because they're going to have a much different outlook on you know, when you're talking with like your, I mean, this is very story core kind of thing, but I think it would just be so rad to see how they can interpret each other's photographs or it, um, stories through a very abstract pinhole process, which is like, yeah. yeah. And just also to have a little bit of hands-on, you know, time in a dark room. Yeah. It's because you'll see the image come up and yeah. you know, yeah. and if the exposure doesn't work, I'll give you feedback and you go back and you try again and then the well, dreaded light leaks. Uh, yeah, exactly. All that stuff. It's going to be great. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be really cool. And I'll probably learn a bunch. Yeah, we did a dry run before we got here. and Got here. And it's, I think it's, they're going to look... They're going to look awesome. Yeah, they're going great. Yeah. And cool. I think, too, it's like... I haven't taught in a long time, and I just love that. So I'm excited to just... I don't know. You always learn a lot. Like, I'm always like, wow, how did you do that with that? image like you know you and they don't even really know usually either but like you get to learn a lot about photography and a lot about just images in general so I'm excited about that and we won't have time to like actually you know for folks to do a long interview and edit it and stuff like that but I mean you know I'm, I'm most people you know we have audio recorders to lend and then so many people have a smartphone in their pocket too that can yeah. record on that um, and to just take that you know, 10 minutes and have someone tell you the story and hopefully there's time at the end that we can listen listen to them and share them and see the images a little bit. Yeah, yeah. So, so they can either take portraits, but, I mean, you know, they're probably going to be five-minute exposures or something like that. Yeah. So it'll be a little... I'm curious. We'll see what people... Yeah, a lot of people... I mean, yeah. people can... That'll, people they'll, bring, they they'll probably bring yeah. things to you that you don't expect to. Yeah, exactly. Cool. Absolutely. And we'll have enough time and, you know, paper to... 
experiment. Not yeah. Just, it's not just, oh, oh, that didn't work out how you want it. Like, too bad. <laughs> no, yeah, we so. won't. You you will leave with a with, with an image. Yeah. So I want to wrap this interview up here, but I, I want to kind of bring out a couple of things. First of all, of course, you know, you all, you all will be taking over the OnView Residency Instagram, which yeah. is always great. And sulfurstudios.org has the connection to your schedule. But if people want to sort of connect with you, follow you, see what you've been up to before and everything that you're doing, what's sort of the best way for people to do that? How can people connect with you? So for the kind of daily follow who we are on the internet, all of our social medias are at Nomadic Photo Arc. So Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, the TikTok, which we don't use, but go follow it anyway. <laughs> um, they're all at Nomadic Photo Arc. And then our website is nomadicphotoarc.com. And the website has all of the uh, pieces for the project to date. So all the fo- you can go there and cool. see all the photos and listen to the interviews at the same time. Yeah. So like all the stuff that we make in Savannah will be up there by, probably by the end of next month in there. So that stuff. Awesome. Yeah. Well, Monica Jane Frizzell and Adam Share, thank you both so much for coming on Art on the Air today. Really appreciate you thank sharing you. your project. Yeah, thank you so much. You're listening to Art on the Air with your hosts, Rob Hessler and Gretchen Hilmers on WRUULP, Savannah, Georgia, 107.5 FM, WRUU.org. We are Savannah Soundings, community radio with Global Soul. This portion of WRUU's programming is brought to you by listeners and by Brighter Day Natural Foods. Brighter Day Natural Foods has been serving Savannah's healthy food and supplement needs since 1978. It is located at the corner of Bull Street and Park Avenue. They have online ordering and curbside delivery available. And now a walk-up window for smoothies, juices, and sandwiches from the deli. They are open from 9 a.m. to 7 p.m. Monday through Saturday and 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. on Sunday. More information can be found at brighterdayfoods.com. What does it mean when we say that WRUU is a community radio station? It doesn't just mean that we invite the community to create programming. And it doesn't just mean that we are a voice for the community. It also means that we are counting on the community to keep us going. And you are the community. Almost all of our modest budget comes from small annual or monthly donations from listeners like you. You get to enjoy our community-focused programming because many others have stepped forward to do their part. Now do your part by joining our community of listener donors. Go to wruu.org right now and make a one-time or monthly donation. And thank you for supporting Savannah's community radio station, 107.5 FM. Are you hesitant about receiving the coronavirus vaccination? Contact your physician. It is estimated that 97% of all physicians have been vaccinated. What do they know that you don't know? Or talk to a friend or relative who has been vaccinated and find out why they have taken it. For more information, contact www.cdc.gov. Welcome back into the studio. Art on the Air here. Rob Hessler, Gretchen Hilmers. Before those messages that we played, we had our interview this week with Monica Jane Frizzell and Adam Scher, the two artists who operate the Nomadic Photo Arc, the artists in residence over at Sulphur Studios right now with their project Portraits of Us. Now, Gretchen, you got a chance to sort of learn a little bit about this project. I mean, what do you think? I mean, you're you're uh, an old timey, an old school dark old-timey? room. Old timey, 
old school man. Well, on, you, you, like you're, 42. you grew up on the smell of fix. You know what it's oh, like God, to be in yeah. the dark room. I do. And they're driving a mobile dark room around. So I thought that was pretty cool. It is pretty cool, but I know I would hate doing that. <laughs> Why? Why would you hate doing that? Because the smell would be everywhere and you couldn't wash it off really because it would just constantly haunt you. Is it the same if you're doing an 8x10, the large format? It's essentially the same as a uh, 35mm, right? I mean, a little bit different, obviously. But, yeah. But I'm pretty the, sure. Basically the I same. I haven't really spent a lot of time doing 8x10 stuff. But. but the project is they're going around, they're taking photographs of folks. But before they do that, they're actually having people share personal, intimate, important stories about their lives and they're recording those stories. And as a special treat, Monica and Adam sent us over four audio recorded stories that we are going to play for you in the second half of this episode. So why don't we go ahead and start with our first one. And this one happens to be by somebody that we actually know as recorded by the Nomadic Photo Arc. I am Liz Juno, and we're in Savannah, Georgia. Uh, and I probably will cry, which is okay, because I've been doing a lot of crying lately. Um, I met my husband that's now deceased when I was 18 years old and was married for 25 years, but probably um, maybe 15 years into the marriage, I realized that he had uh, addiction issues. My husband was a workaholic and what shifted into other things um, as far as drinking and other behaviors was that he had a change in his job and got promoted. and and lost the ability to do what he loved as far as his job and that was I can look back and say that was the that was the shift that that brought him into um, compulsive gambling and so um, he struggled with that for a long long time and then in 2009 he took his life by suicide but I'll back up and say I also had a sister that was died by homicide and suicide and that was in 2001 all of that has served a purpose in my life because I meet people all the time that have had loss by suicide and I can actually have some empathy for them and relate to them and I had a neighbor recently that they lost their niece by suicide and she was only 15 years old and I think she knew that I would be there and listen to her and understand mm-hmm. um, so I'm I'm still dealing with that and the grief and the stuff that's stuck in my body. It's still there. Um, but it also got me to Savannah because I think if I would have still be married, I would have a completely different life because I was really living, I was living the way I thought I should live, you know. I had a husband, a child, a house, a, a, a job. And it was all okay, but it wasn't really living. <laughs> I don't think it it was living the way I live now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that I can I can live more in the present and I can be open to things and I can be um, my own person. I think I you know I, my mother actually died from cancer when I was in my 20s and that was kind of a like a oh things happen, you know, and and life is short. But when my sister died it was just so sudden because I got to watch my mother like over time and with her cancer journey and kind of knew that it was coming. But when my, my sister died, it was just a, 
it was like those things don't happen. They don't happen to my family or to me. Um, and then when it happened to my husband as well, and it just makes me look at life like life can turn on a dime. And time is short. And that things can change tomorrow. And so, like, why not do today what I want to do today? It's like if I have a conversation with someone and it takes 10 minutes longer than I planned, it's the 10 minutes that I have to connect with someone in the way that I want to connect. And I feel like that has brought more joy into my life is to just have connections with people. When I came here, as I told you earlier, it was like it was not planned per se. It was like this job came up and they offered it to me, but I knew that was where I needed to be and I don't know how, I just knew it and this intuition. But I think there's some spirituality here. I mean, I talk, they talk about like the vortexes in Sedona and some other places, but I feel like there's definitely something here. And I found that in the, the architecture. I found it in the trees. And I can remember coming to Savannah and early on, and I would go, I lived more on the south side of the city, and I would come to more midtown. Um, and I would go to a meeting, but before I would go, I'd walk around. And it would just like, ah, there, there's something here. Yeah, I can't tell you it's what it is, but it is here. Wow, what a powerful story there by Liz Janot. Liz has been on the radio show before, actually, and she's an artist in town. And so when I saw her pop up, I thought, we'll play that story. And I was not prepared. We're doing this live. We're listening to these live. So we're having a, a yeah. genuine reaction. Liz is one of the... <laughs> she's a lovely person. And she is full of life and good spirits. And it was interesting to hear how such a challenging moment in her personal life transformed her in, I think, a positive way. I think some of the most lovely people have a lot of trauma behind them, which shapes who they are today. Liz really speaks for that sort of scenario. Because she is just, God, she smiles. And I feel like the whole world around her lights up. Oh, that's so nice of you to say that. I'm sure she would love that compliment. Ah, well, what a powerful story. I hope that that impacted all of you as much as it did Gretchen and I. Let's go to another story here that we've been sent over. Again, we have no idea what these are going to be. So this is Zazie, another piece sent over to us by the Nomadic Photo Arc team. Here is Zazie's story. My name is Zazie Welgen, and we are in the... I don't know the name of this room right now, but it's at MCC. <laughs> I like to think my parents raised me to be like very open-minded, but I think it's kind of difficult sometimes when you don't always know everyone's like their own mindset and where they're coming from. My uncle, he's like one of the smartest people I know, but he has struggled his life with bipolar disorder and schizophrenia. He was working at some sort of financial management company and he was like working his way up in the ranks. For some reason in his work, they had this requirement where he had to take some of those vacation days and getting out of that routine like caused him to have another mental breakdown. And you know, it was it was weird because I had always seen this really smart kind of normal guy. There was nothing ever really weird about him. So seeing him have that break when I was in, I think seventh grade was really interesting. I would never look at my uncle and think he's this guy with serious bipolar disorder and some serious issues in his closet, like. I don't know, I just, I always have support for him and I love him so much even when he's on his bad days, but I always look at other people and I think, you know, I don't know what they're going through and I'm especially trying to be like, consider of everyone's mental states and 
You know, the other thing is my dad being a teacher, I always loved watching him teach because MCC, one of the cool things about it is we get a lot of people with, with special needs and he's so great with students and I really got to learn from him and apply that to my own uncle. I'm studying to be a commercial illustration major, um, but I would also, I would love to teach art like my dad. And I love working with people and, and hearing their stories and really trying to like shift my perspective to theirs. And I think it's one of the coolest things about art is you get to like see a visual representation of other people's strange perspectives of the world. That was Zazie and that was a nice story. Yeah, she says something that I try to live by, uh, especially now that we've had a kid. You don't know what someone's going through. And to just, you know, try to find patience and understanding. Um, some people are just awful people. <laughs> and they're going <laughs> to treat sure. you awful. Yeah. Uh -huh. But some people are just having awful days. And, uh, you know, it's it's nice to, to hear that, that, you know, other people are out there reflecting on that and just trying to, I think that helps make the world a better day, a better place by just trying to have understanding for each other and and uh, and wow her story like the the bipolar disorder and him having to take vacation days put him off his track and uh you know I, I think a lot of us need the routine to feel stable really interesting wanted to let you all know that if you're just joining us you're listening to art on the air here on the WRUULP, Savannah, Georgia, 107.5 FM, WRUU.org. We are Savannah Soundings Community Radio with Global Soul. I am Rob Hessler, and my co-host here is Gretchen Hilmers. And we're playing some interviews that were sent to us by Monica Jane Frizzell and Adam Scher, the two artists of the Nomadic Photo Arc, the current artists in residency over at Sulphur Studios, Portrait of Us, is their current project where they are taking photographic images of folks, but also gathering audio stories told by them. And they were very gracious and sent us over a number of stories that we are playing for you today. And that's what we have been doing. So let's get into our next story. This is Saxon. This is a little bit of a longer story. So sit back and enjoy this one. We, again, don't know what it's going to tell us. So Let's see what Saxon has to say. Okay, so I'm Saxon. I use they, them pronouns. Um, we're in North Hero, Vermont, in the Straw Vale. Um, I just love this little place. It's really cool. Or my parents divorced when I was really, really young. I never really was that close with my dad. He travels a lot, so I spend a lot of time with my mom. Uh, she's a single teacher. Um, she works in the Montessori school system, so I grew up, education was always really, really important. I started out as a biochemistry major at a really small private um, farm school in Asheville, North Carolina called Warren Wilson College, and I felt like it was really going to resonate with the Montessori aspect of my education and my upbringing, but it was really just like a bunch of white people with dreadlocks, and it was just really frustrating. and. I wasn't really out to myself at that point, so trying to like live as a woman in academia and really, I felt like I had this responsibility to make space. If I didn't show up in heels and a skirt and was like boss ass like then I, like I wasn't doing service to other women in the industry, if that makes sense. I'm sure you've kind of experienced that. At the same time, I would show up in skirts and heels and everyone was like oh do you need help moving that box or are you sure you understand do you want to go over that and it's like how do i make space for myself in this i ended up 
leaving school after half of a semester, I um, got really, really depressed. I was 19 um, and the depression was really, really bad. So I was able to withdraw medically. This was probably like two or three years that I was just like on and off meds, like up my dose, lower my dose. I was like, well, I like animals. Maybe I'll, you know, like maybe I want to be a vet. I worked in a vet clinic and I hated it. I just like didn't know what I was doing and I quit all of my meds. It was, it was really awful. And I ended up going to outpatient therapy and she was like, if academia is not making you happy, like find what makes you like, find yourself. And that was like horses. I've done a little bit of everything from like groundskeeping. I've worked at like show facilities. I've groomed for Olympians. I've done like pretty much anything, but the thing that was always consistent was that a lot of the horses were unhappy. The work that I do is really not only aimed at improving the horses, like immediate well-being and their feeling in their body, but also sort of like owner education. And the other thing I like about the horse industry is that it gives me space to be non-binary. And like one thing that the equestrian world does have is that there's not a lot of gender division in competitions. Like even at at the um, Olympic level, like there's not men's show jumping and women's show jumping. And a lot of women are in like shoveling and driving tractors and it's not easy. I don't come out to like all my clients immediately. For me, it's sort of like, do you deserve to know this about me? Like, have you earned it? <laughs> I definitely have tons of space to express that because even if someone perceives me as a woman, then it's okay if I drive a tractor. Like it's been nice because there's space for me, even if there's not like, political, social, active space right. for me. I think I always knew that I wasn't a woman, but I think that I grew up, like my mom's very much typical third wave feminist, like women can be whatever you wanna be. So I think that I tried really hard to follow in those footsteps and sort of like be my own kind of woman because I didn't have the language for like that there was in between or that that was even an option. So it probably wasn't until like four or five years ago that I was like, I have the vocabulary for this and like I can not put myself in a box but I can sort of label my experience and I can find common community and I can find other people that are also experiencing these feelings. A lot of the reason that I came up here is because I'm really tired of summers in the south and like <laughs> doing physical labor like riding five horses a day in 110 degree weather is like no I don't want to do it anymore I'm done. So that's a lot of the reason that I'm up here but I'm realizing that the other part of the reason that I'm up here is like I need a break from all the anti-trans policies. It's been so nice and just peaceful to be here. They take me at face value and they don't care that I don't always dress like a woman or that I don't always look like a woman or that I don't have like a woman's job. Like we always say trans joy is resistance, but I think trans peace is resistance too. Now that I've been here and now that I've been able to just like and see the South from like a third person perspective, I've been like, oh, I, I really needed to get out of there. Like I was really tired, I was really done. And, and I think that's what's scary about the South is we sort of, we're all here and we're all existing together and we all know, but we can't be ourselves in public because the people that are dangerous are really dangerous. I can like palpably feel the way that I move through the world is different when I'm down there as opposed to here. Um, I hope, I really hope that I can bring some of that with me. And if not, then I hope that I can come back next year and continue to build on the peace that I have found. 
and then take a little bit of that back. When I have my little trans pin and I'm like, hi, I'm Saxon, I use they them pronouns, and I walk into someone's born and they don't know anything about pronouns or they don't care, but they see the work that I do with the horses and they're like, oh, I can really help you with your horse and the things that I have to say in my life experience and what I have to offer you is valuable. That was interesting. There's really a inter lot that could be said about that. Huh. Yeah, what powerful stories these have yeah. been so far. Wow. Well, way to go, Saxon, um, finding your way in the world. And, you know, I never really thought about it, but yeah, the, the horse industry, that really is a perfect industry for someone to not necessarily have to identify with any sex because horses are going to like you if they like you and they're not going to like you. Uh, if they're not going to like you. Like, I, I don't know how else to put it. Yeah. Um, but it's also very, you know, no matter who you identify with, you just have to get in the in the poop <laughs> yeah you I gotta know. shovel it and you're gonna get nipped and stepped on and like it is just a tough industry like it doesn't matter what gen you, gender you are if the tractor needs to be driven or if the poop needs to be shoveled and um and in the south you know they said that it's dangerous mm -hmm. and it is very dangerous in a lot of ways uh when it comes to you know, civil liberties when it comes to personal relationships and even physically, because, you know, there is a lot of violence here at times and certain portions of the South like to attack from a societal vantage uh, where it can really tear you down Yeah, in ways that are not just physically um, yeah, like laws and rights and things like that, mm -hmm. you know, diminishing that, which and is... And they're really good at it, too. And it's so hard. As And we've never fought for that kind of stuff, but it is so hard to fight the system. Like, whatever you're trying to do, because we've tried to do that, you're an individual, you're like a person or maybe a group of people that it's not your job to fight for those things. Like, it is something that you do because it's the right thing that you feel like to do but you're fighting against people whose literal jobs are to enact the laws or things that you're trying to fight against so like those people are working full-time against you who are like have a normal job and have a normal life and are trying to just be like just live and let live just to try to have a life and I so Gosh, I know, seriously. So um, great story by Saxon yeah. there and, and really appreciate Monica Jane Frizzell and Adam Scher for sending us over these stories from their Portrait of Us project, their On View residency project over at Sulphur Studios. Now, some of these stories obviously were gathered from other stops along the way during their project. Um, so it was really great to, to kind of share some of those. We have one more story, but we're going to play that to kind of end the show here. So we're going to round off want to mention next week we're going to be playing our interview with lila clink of elite apparel hey, lila yeah good friend what um, a love lila beautiful person and she was such a i already did the interview she was awesome <laughs> and she's a small business owner so she's an artist and she owns a an apparel and graphics company elite apparel elite apparel and so and she's been doing some street fair stuff and all that so i wanted to bring on somebody like that somebody who, you know, has kind of paved their way, small business owner, and Lila's been in the grind for a long time. Yeah, so she's, she's, she's hustling. Yeah, and it's really just been the last couple of years that she now has the physical location and everything, so can't wait to share that with you next week. But we got to get out of here. If you're listening to the live show coming up after this last 
this last recording here is some of that old Savannah magic. So stay tuned for that. We'll be back next week from 3 to 4 p.m. here on WRUU. Appreciate you tuning in. Again, thanks to Monica and Adam for sharing everything with us. And we'll talk to you all next week. Yeah. Okay. Take care, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> I'm lost in the stories. We're at the U.S. Tennis Open about 20, oh, 25 years ago. I had to go to the men's room, and the man came next to me, and I looked at him, and he was, that's Walter Conkright. <laughs> and I said, after you finish and wash your hands, I'd like to shake your hand. <laughs> so then he, then, he, uh, then he interviewed you, huh? <laughs> nice, nice man. <laughs> nice, nice man. I am Tom Mensch in North Hero, Vermont. And I'm Fritz Mensch also located in North Hero, Vermont. Virtually every summer, with the exception of the military or college jobs or what have you, uh, we'd be here. We grew up right here with, fortunately, the older generation, which was phenomenal for us. Well, it all started with our great uncle Otto von Schroeder. In 1879, he graduated from Columbia Law School and his best friend and roommate was a man by the name of Julius Seymour. And Julius Seymour was from St. Albans, Vermont, right across the, the lake here. And his father, Julius Seymour Sr., was president of the St. Albans Bank when the Confederates uh, invaded St. Albans and robbed his bank and two other banks and went back to Canada. But anyway, his son Julius Seymour said to Uncle Otto, go home, get squared away, get organized, but come back to Vermont for at least two or three weeks. We've got the greatest fishing camp in the world in North Hero, Vermont. How in heaven's name he got here from St. Louis, Missouri, I have no idea. But he got here, and he fell in love with the area. Absolutely fell in love, and he decided that he was going to build on the point where my wife and I, Liz and I, are now. And that was all completed in 1882. I guess in the early 1900s, he asked his sister, Julie Von Schroeder Hodson, H-O-D-G-S-O-N, to come up and visit. And she and her husband, Albin, readily accepted, and they came up here. And I should give you a little history. Albin Chase Hodson was the first Confederate accepted to the United States Naval Academy, Annapolis, after the Civil War. The big ran, as we called her, uh, lived to the right age of 93 or 4. They came up and they visited and they said, oh, this is paradise, this is heaven. We want to build here. It was a smaller version of this building we're sitting in now, but pretty much the same. Yeah, an exciting life. It really it was a tremendous experience, you know, yeah. something that Tom and myself, uh, you know, really cherish having yeah. been here and room for that. I was born in July of 32, so I didn't make it that summer, but every summer after that, yeah. I was always, always here. I learned so much about life, True. so much about uh, people, 
the value of work. And our grandmother taught us very young in life, if a job's worth doing, it's worth doing correctly. You know, the value of good food. In those days, uh, there was uh, once a week, um, C.P. Ryan, who was a butcher from Burlington, he had a meat truck, and he made the rounds to the island. And my, my grandmother got there, and she sorted all the food and everything. So that was an experience. And he came up with the liver and the tongue and the kidneys and the brains and sweetbreads and Lord knows what. But, but that was a way of life and a great learning experience. Great learning experience. Yeah, which was very, very nice. It was very nice. You know, great stories. Like we talk about our great grandmother, who was the wife of Captain Hudson, who built this. And during the days of Prohibition, they would all jump in the car and drive to Canada, Quebec, and uh, she always wore, you know, long black dresses and everything, sat in the back seat, and so they'd bring the bottles back and she'd hide them under her, her dress. In her bloomers. And so the customs guy, you know, respecting her age and her stature in life, you know, he wouldn't ask her to step out and be searched. Now, so that's how they got their liquor during the Prohibition. Yeah, but one day there was a new trainee and he asked her to stand. And the Elastic and her bloomers <laughs> broke. <laughs> Instead of driving off and leaving all the liquor behind, they had a big party right yeah. at the customs station. <laughs> they had a banner right there at the customs, right at <laughs> yeah. the borders. Uh, well, the times they had were unbelievable. Uh, it hasn't changed that much in my 88 years of being here. Uh, more, more housing, yes, more people. But fundamentally, it is basically still the same. It hasn't changed that much. I mean, you lived in Virginia and, and Connecticut and, and Alabama during the service, and I was in the West Coast. You're very transient out there, but here you're very permanent. This is yeah. where the roots are. Yeah, definitely. No question about it. Yeah. That's it. Um, I, I have three kids and eight grandchildren. And of those three kids, uh, two, two are very interested. But again, you know, they have so much in their life going other than Vermont. Uh, it worries me, you know, whether that will continue into that next generation, which are my kids and grandchildren. And I have four daughters, and they all love it. And they all want to be here as much as they can. <clears throat> but again, they're scattered. And whether or not any of them will be able to handle it financially after I'm gone is a, a good question. And I think a lot of situations like this, and I've seen them, you've seen them, where um, it's passing from one generation to another. We're going the seventh generation here. Unfortunately, cannot afford to maintain the property. And you, you see that perhaps more often as a reason they don't continue, the reason they can't access it as easily. Personally, I sort of take it for granted, you know, because I grew up here. I say, no, this is it. It's a wonderful thing. And unfortunately, we're able to pass it on to our children and grandchildren. And uh, um, of our family, my great-grandfather, Captain Hudson, he died in Vermont. He died in Burlington. Uh, our grandfather, Tom Covert, he died in the second cabin. Um, my great-grandmother died at the age of 92 in the back room here, all in North Hero. And then our aunt, she died also in Vermont. Now she sort of willed her way to come from Florida to Vermont, supposed to be a two-week vacation. Yeah. And uh, she came healthy off the plane, and she died up here. Gives you respect more than anything else for those who were before us and what they did and so forth. And we're, we're trying our best to uh, 
honor them by keeping things going and maintaining things. It's a labor of love, but worth every... Yeah, it's a lot of work. Every drop of sweat, no question about it. That's all the time we have for this week's episode of Art on the Air with your host, Rob Hessler. Listen every Wednesday for our live show, broadcasting from 3 to 4 p.m. Eastern Time on 107.5 FM, Savannah Soundings, and worldwide at WRUU.org. And you can catch past episodes on the WRUU station archives on our website, as well as on iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. We'll talk to you next week, where we'll have another batch of art on the air.